He sat near the top of the rookery inside. Watford were losing to Cardiff City and he didn't know what the problem was. He watched Jao Pedro turn the ball back to Christian Cabaselli, who shuffled it across to William Troostercon, who rolled it back to Ben Foster. The Orns had scored 10 goals in the last three home games, but today it looked like they could play for the rest of eternity and never score. He couldn't work out what had gone wrong. Was it tactics? Was it motivation? Was it individual failings? He folded his arms and slumped in his seat. He'd been watching the Orns for decades. He'd seen several thousand games. So surely he ought to have known the answer. But he felt he'd learned nothing in all this time. He was no wiser. It must be his own fault he'd recently begun to think. He died when he was 13, which meant he was now 13 in Hornet Heaven forever, with only a child's understanding of football, it seemed. He watched, mystified, as James Garner stopped a promising attack and rolled the ball back to Cabaselli. Presumably, you had to be an adult to understand. When the final whistle blew on a wretched performance that he couldn't explain, Derek Garston got up and trudged back to the ancient turnstile, blaming himself. He was just a stupid boy. In Hornet Heaven, he always had been, and always would be. Hornet Heaven. The boy who wouldn't grow up. Written by Ollie Wickham, read by Colin Mace. Earth Season 2020-21. Bill Mainwood, Hornet Heaven's head of programmes, was in his office after the Cardiff game. The 92-year-old was finishing a chat with Larry McGettigan, a winger from Watford's dreadful 1971-72 relegation side. Thanks for the update, Larry, but let's leave it there for now. We don't want young Derek to find out what we're planning. A few moments later, Derek Garston, Bill's 13-year-old programme assistant, entered the room. Derek was tugging at the tie of his 1920s school uniform to loosen it. His cherubic face was dark with fury. Cheer up, cock. It may never happen, Larry said. Derek's blonde, choir-boy fringe quivered. He glared at the long-haired 41-year-old. It did just happen, and it was shit, Mr McGettigan, sir. Goodness, Bill gasped. Language, young man. Stop treating me like a child, sir. But, but, you are a child. In Earth years, I'm a hundred and twelve, sir. I was born before you were born, sir. Larry McGettigan rolled his eyes. Load love a duck. The dustbin lid's got the right hump. I'll leave you to it, Bill, me old mucker. Bill watched Derek park himself angrily at his desk. He hoped the boy was just having a teenage moment. 
He tried to make conversation. Um, frustrating game today, wasn't it, my boy? What did you make of Jao Pedro's performance? He's a teenager like yourself, so... Shut up about how young I am, sir! Now, now, young man, you can't deny the reality of how Hornet Heaven works. Up here, no one ever ages. And that's not fair on me, sir. Next month, I'll have been 13 for exactly a hundred years since I arrived in Hornet Heaven, sir. But why is that a problem? Because I haven't got any bigger and cleverer. Joe Pedro played like a pudding today, Mr Mainwood, sir. A tapioca pudding, sir. A tippy-tappy tapioca pudding, sir. But why, sir? Why did he play like that? Well, I... I... uh, Don't you have any ideas? Of course not. I'm too young and stupid to know the answer, sir. And I will be for the rest of time, sir. Actually, young man, none of us have much of an idea why... It's so unjust, sir. Down on earth, Joe Pedro gets to grow up, sir. I wish I could have put on seven kilograms of muscle over the summer, sir. I'm just a weedy pile of plasma, sir. And there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, dear. Perhaps we should discuss James Garner instead, my boy. He's quite a skinny little thing, so... Great, sir. Skinny and little, like me, sir. Brilliant, sir. Thanks a bunch, sir. Derek got up from his desk and stomped across the floor to the door. Every time you open your mouth, sir, it's all my boy this and young man that. You never stop reminding me that I'm the boy who'll never grow up. Oh, dear. That rather spoils things. I think I'd better find Larry and the others and tell them we need to change our plan. Bill walked through the bright, airy space of the Hornet Heaven atrium. As he was passing the yellow leather sofas, he was stopped by Henry Grover, the man who founded Watford Rovers in 1881. Ah, Bill, the father of the club said, just the man. Or rather, the man with just the boy. You see, I'm hoping your assistant young Derek could look out some statistics for me. Um, now's not really the best time for that, I'm afraid, Henry. I'm curious to know the exact ages of the players we fielded against Cardiff today, old sausage. Some of them seem quite young to be selected for a side aiming for a promotion from the championship. I'm concerned that older heads are required. Yes, uh, well, I think we should avoid troubling Derek with this particular inquiry. I'll look into it for you myself, a little later. Splendid, old chap, thank you. But, uh, is there a problem with Derek? Yes, and it's causing a bit of a problem for me too. Oh dear, Uh, can I help? Uh, What's the trouble? Well... I've been planning a surprise event next month to mark the centenary of Derek's arrival in Hornet Heaven in January 2021. His centenary? Goodness, yes. After the success of the recent carol concert, I thought another musical event would be nice. So I asked the singing group, Cliff Holton and the Holtones, to adapt an old musical as a way of retelling Derek's life story and... um, 
afterlife story. Very good. Which musical? Peter Pan. The boy who never grows up. He's just like Derek. Good Lord. That's a gorgeous idea, you dear old thing. Derek will love it. Except that he won't, as I've just discovered. Of course he will, you old lovely. I adored the original Peter Pan stories when I was alive. I still remember that famous line, To die will be an awfully big adventure. Well, that's definitely turned out to be true for us up here in Hornet Heaven. And uh, what was the other thing Peter Pan said that always resonated with me? Ah, yes. I want always to be a little boy and always have fun. Well, Derek doesn't want always to be a little boy, I now know. He'll hate being compared to Peter Pan, which means I need to go and call off the whole production. I'm sorry, but I've got to go and let everyone on the team know. Excuse me, Henry. Of course, Bill, you hurry along. Oh, uh, and you won't forget to look out those statistics for me, will you, Bill? Bill? Bill entered the View restaurant in the southwest corner of Vicarage Road Stadium. Cliff Holton and the Holtones and their creative team were using the restaurant as a rehearsal space in which to create their Peter Pan musical. As Bill approached, Charlie Peacock, once one of the participants in the original Watford Rovers kickabout of 1881, but now the pianist for Cliff Holton's singing group, looked up from his keyboard. Oh, hello, old chap, Charlie said to Bill. We're making great progress on the musical. I've learned all the tunes from the original 1954 production, and uh, to adapt it to tell Derek's life story, we've found a gentleman called Cyril, who's going to muck in as the writer. Librettist, Cyril said. The word is librettist. I am not, as you so disdainfully put it, mucking in. I am employing a story of supporting a football club for eternity as a vehicle for expressing universal truths about the human condition. Isn't everybody these days, Bill said. Anyway, I'm afraid that... We're working on one of the songs right now, Bill. Would you like to hear what we've got? No, I'm sorry to say Cyril will read out the lyrics he's got so far. They're for the Peter Pan character to sing, or rather the Derek Garston character. Come on, Cyril, let Bill hear your sublime insights into Derek's essential nature. I won't grow up. I'm immature. Oh dear, I think Derek... I don't understand the game. But my hornet love is pure. Stop, stop, look, I I'm really sorry about this, but... Uh, we have to call the whole thing off. We can't do the show. I beg your pardon, Bill? We need to ditch the production. This can't be. Woe, woe, and thrice woe. Such news rends my bosom. This libretto was to be my masterpiece. Well, unfortunately, it would have spoken of the innocence and ignorance of youth. 
of the fragility of life's gossamer thread for a small, sickly child who loves his local football team. All in the bin, I'm afraid. I would have created something unique. A deathbed scene for the hero at the start of a show. It would have been a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. Picture it. Derek, dying of tuberculosis in 1921 in his mother's sparsely furnished terraced house, uttering in a hushed voice so bravely, so, so bravely, as he crosses the spiritual divide to Hornet Heaven, to die will be an awfully big adventure. Bend, sorry. Really, Bill, that's terribly disappointing. Isn't there something we could do to change your mind? said Charlie. Ah, yes, I have it, said Cyril. To persuade you, Bill, I shall write you into the libretto as a character. As in real life, you shall assist Derek in his escapades and exhibit a loyalty to him that is both tender and everlasting. Oh, really? You shall be Tinkerbell to Derek's Peter Pan. A fairy? Thanks. Look, I'm afraid the whole thing just isn't going to work. The problem is that Derek hates being stuck as a child forever. What? He abhors having sipped the elixir of eternal youth. You could put it like that. Then Derek is a ridiculous homunculus. Goodness, well, I don't think he is. I think he's a sensitive soul who needs our support, which means we need to find a way of celebrating his centenary that's going to make him happy. Do you think we should perform a different musical, Bill? Maybe. I just don't know at this point. Anyway, in the meantime, I'm sorry, Cyril. I'm sorry, Charlie. All your composition work has sadly gone to waste. Meanwhile, Derek, after storming out of Bill's office, had grabbed a programme and gone through the ancient turnstile to an old Watford game. He was at the 3-0 win over Swindon Town at Watford's former home ground of Cassio Road in September 1914. He often came here. Down on earth, this had been his first ever football match. The First World War had begun a few weeks earlier, but at the tender age of six, Derek had been oblivious to the global conflict. He'd been newly obsessed with Watford Football Club. 13-year-old Derek soon spotted his younger self in front of the ropes on the opposite touchline from the pavilion. The six-year-old him looked like a miniature cast member from Peaky Blinders in his dark grey suit with knickerbockers and long socks, topped off with a flat cap. The tiny figure was skipping with excitement. Derek knew exactly how the younger version of him was feeling. This had been the day Derek Garston realised what he wanted to grow up to be. A professional footballer. Derek glanced towards the pitch and saw good old Charlie White in Watford's black and white striped kit. Charlie had been the six-year-old's inspiration that day. 
a graceful inside forward who could glide deftly past even the most robust challenges. When Charlie had scored, the crowd had thrown their hats into the air in jubilation. Six-year-old Derek had decided there and then that he wanted to grow up to be like Charlie. But even better than Charlie. Be Watford's bestest player ever. But he'd never grown up to be that. He'd never grown up at all. Tuberculosis had cancelled Derek Garston on earth. Cancelled his hopes and dreams. Just seven years later. Now, in 2020, Derek watched his even smaller 1914 self jump, clap and squeal with delight. Life had been cruel to him, he reflected. But his afterlife, in which he never got any closer to maturity, felt even crueler. Back in the atrium, Derek sank despondently onto one of the yellow leather sofas. Soon, a handsome dark-haired man in a dapper 1920s suit sat down alongside him and said, You really do look most frightfully down, Derek. How are things? It was good old Charlie White, who'd also died young. His death in 1925, while still a player at the club, had prematurely halted his Watford career of 380 League and Cup appearances and 81 goals. I'm not so perky, if I'm honest, Mr Good Old Charlie White, sir. Well, you and I should stick together, Derek. We have a connection in Hornet Heaven, I've always thought. A special bond. You were already here when I arrived, and I've always looked up to you because of the way you've coped with the awful hand that fate dealt you. Really, Mr Good Old Charlie White, sir? You've looked up to me, sir? Good Old Charlie who had been accomplished at several sports, nodded with total sincerity. Oh, yes. It's been 95 years up here for me, but you're even more experienced. I hear you're reaching your century very soon. <laughs> we shall all rise and applaud your undefeated innings. Crikey, Mr. Good old Charlie White, sir. I hadn't thought of it like that, sir. It's been a magnificent knock so far, Derek. Keep going. Watford's former record appearance maker and goal scorer gave Derek a gentle punch on the shoulder and moved off. Derek felt as inspired as he'd felt the first time he'd ever laid eyes on good old Charlie White as a six-year-old at the 1914 Swindon game. The next day, back in the programme office, Derek was still glowing from good old Charlie White's words when Henry Grover entered. Ah, there you are, Derek. I know Bill said I shouldn't be asking you at the moment, but I need some of your famous facts. You are, after all, the fount of all Watford Football Club knowledge in Hornet Heaven. Crikey! Thank you for such kind words, Mr Crover, sir. Not at all, Derek. In fact, over the seventy years that I've been up here, I've come to regard you as a sort of son. That's lovely, Mr Crover, sir. I'm flattered, sir. Of course, I say a son, but I suppose I mean a grandson. Or even a great-grandson, because you're so young. And quite a weird great-grandson at that, come to think of it. <laughs> because you never grow up. Great. We're back on this, are we, Mr Grover, sir? 
Anyway, the reason I'm here is that I'm interested in whether our head coach, Vladimir Ivich, is marshalling the correct blend of youth and experience in his promotion-seeking side. Please, could you tell me how many of the players that played against Cardiff yesterday were, say, 21 or under? The answer's five, Mr Grover, sir. James Garner, Jao Pedro, Jeremy Ngakia, Ben Wilmot and Domingos Quina. In order of the recency of their birth, Mr Grover, sir. But do we have to talk about age, sir? Hmm. I wonder if that's too many youngsters for a successful team. You see, I'm worried that... In fact, I'd value your opinion on something, young fellow me lad. Uh, would you mind accompanying me to an old game from the 1980s? I've only got a programme for myself at the moment, but I'm sure you could duck under the turnstile. Mr Grover, sir, these continual reminders that I'm a child, uh, I could probably find you a sherbet dib-dab, young man, or something like that, if you're a good boy. I'll get myself a programme, Mr Grover, sir. Derrick and Henry went through the ancient turnstile and arrived at Watford's away UEFA Cup tie in Prague in December 1983. Derrick, in his school blazer and shorts, felt underdressed for the sub-zero temperature inside the Lettner Stadium. He stood and shivered in silence as Henry explained why they'd come to this game. The father of the club said it was because 10 of the 13 players Watford would field that night were 21 or younger and therefore babes in arms as Henry managed to put it, with unwitting insensitivity. But Derek wasn't really listening. He was feeling the pang of personal loss. He felt it every time he saw teenagers trotting out onto a pitch to represent Watford. Yesterday, against Cardiff City, it had been the sight of James Garner and Jao Pedro that had made him feel the hurt of never having had the chance to try and fulfil his dream. But tonight... In freezing Prague, there were five teenagers in the squad. Nigel Gibbs, Worrell Sterling, Ian Richardson, Neil Price and Francis Cassidy. The sight of each one felt like an icy dagger to his heart. Now, Henry was asking him something. Something about whether fielding so many youngsters was the reason Watford had lost 4-0 and crashed out of European competition. Derek's body started to shake more violently, not just from the cold now. Why was Henry doing this to him? How was he meant to know whether the cause of Watford's defeat was the youthfulness of the side? Or the frozen conditions underfoot? Or the fact that Sparta Prague were a crack European side who would win their domestic league that season? He hadn't been able to explain the Cardiff performance yesterday, and now he couldn't explain this. He didn't understand football. He never had... And he never would, because he was just a boy, a stupid boy, forever. He dropped onto his cold bare knees and began to cry and cry. He had the feeling he'd never be able to stop. Oh no, my boy, what's happened? Henry carried Derek in his arms into the programme office. Bill rushed over. My boy, my boy. Bill took Derek from Henry and laid him down on the sofa between their desks. He grabbed a Harry Hornet cushion and carefully placed it under the boy's head as a pillow. My poor boy, you're freezing. Henry brought over a yellow and black checkered blanket 
that had been in use as a throw on the other sofa. Tenderly, Bill tucked Derek in. Soon, Derek fell asleep. Henry whispered to Bill an explanation of what had happened at the Prague game, then tiptoed away. Bill sat down and kept vigil. Henry returned to the programme shelves in the atrium in a state of shock. He was shocked at his own insensitivity. He hadn't realised Derek was in psychological crisis. And now the boy had broken down on the frosty steps in the Letner Stadium, convulsing with sobs, howling how he knew nothing about football and couldn't stand being a child for the rest of eternity. Henry put the Sparta Prague programme back on its shelf and thought he'd better go off to another old game to try and settle himself. He looked along the neighbouring shelf with programmes from the following season and chose the 1984-85 home game against Everton. There had been nine goals, he remembered. He hoped they'd bring him out of his shock, like nine sharp slaps to the face. Henry arrived at Vicarage Road on the 29th of September 1984 in a crowd of 18,335. When he saw Tony Coton warming up, he remembered that this was the legendary goalkeeper's debut for Watford. He'd been signed after the team had shipped seven goals in their last two home games. Coton was about to ship another five. It was a strange time for Watford fans, Henry recalled. It was both brilliant and terrible. Graham Taylor's team were three seasons into their first ever spell in the top division and had played today's opponents, Everton, in the FA Cup final at Wembley just four months earlier. This season, though, after seven games, the Hornets were bottom of the table and winless, despite the return of Luther Blissett and despite scoring plenty of goals. There was so much to delight in and much to bemoan. Also, Henry remembered, Watford's form at the time was inexplicable. When the signing of Tony Coton didn't stem the flow of goals, it was obvious that even Graham Taylor, the great man, couldn't put his finger on the problem. It struck Henry that Derek Garston had no reason at all to be blaming himself for not understanding how football works. It certainly wasn't because he was just a child. As Henry looked around, he noticed the family terrace towards the northeast corner of the ground. He decided to watch from there and enter the terrace at the front, passing fresh-faced boys and girls. The arrangement had been that children always stood on the bottom steps and their parents on the top steps. Henry went to join the adults. By half-time he was regretting his decision. It had been an entertaining game with four goals, but Watford were 3-1 down and the adults around him weren't happy. They were moaning, criticising and yelling insults. Henry decided to move away. He went and stood lower down the terrace, among the children. He watched the second half surrounded by kids who were having the time of their lives, even though Watford were losing. In front of them, at the Vicarage Road end, they saw a John Barnes free kick turned into the goal by an Everton defender. The children cheered wildly. Then they saw Nigel Callaghan convert a John Barnes cross for a third Watford goal and the children greeted the goal as if all their Christmases had come at once, even though Everton had already scored a fourth. 
Late on, Barnes headed home at Callaghan Cross for Watford's fourth, and the youngsters shrieked with joy, even though Everton had now scored five. At the final whistle, the children were still bursting with excitement as their parents trudged down the steps to collect them, grumbling about yet another defeat. Goodness, Henry mused to himself. How much better to be a child? How much more carefree? How much more fun? Henry returned to the programme office. Bill was still watching over Derek. Henry tiptoed over and joined him. They talked quietly. Sweet, isn't he, when he's asleep? The dear little poppet. And yet you know, old thing, he's wrong. Wrong, Henry. How do you mean? Thinking he doesn't understand football because he's just a child. Oh, yes, absolutely. Sometimes I feel completely mutton-headed when it comes to trying to work out why things happen the way they do on the pitch. And my mutton-headedness begins where your mutton-headedness leaves off, old chap. I'm the undisputed king of no-nothing numb-scullery when it comes to football. Bill leaned forward and smoothed the lock of hair on Derek's soft forehead. Henry continued. But anyway, that's not all. There's another thing about which Derek is mistaken. He shouldn't be upset about never having grown up. Really? That's interesting. Why do you say that? Because I think he should very much want to be a boy forever, Bill. If you ask me, he should be thoroughly delighted he's the Peter Pan of Hornet Heaven. Golly, go on, Henry. Tell me more. Well, what I've realised, Bill, old thing, is that as grown-up football fans, we've all been scarred by what we've been through. We've become bitter and cynical. We'd enjoy matches far more if we could watch them with the innocence of a child and enjoy football simply for what it is. Good heavens, I see what you mean. In fact, after the game I've just been to, I've come to the conclusion that we adults should start acting like kids at matches. Goodness, Henry, so you're saying football would be a lot more fun if we regressed and never grew up? I think you might be onto something there. Really? Me? Onto something? Was what I said not know-nothing numbskullery for once? In fact, Henry, it could be exactly what we need to help Derek make a full recovery from his psychological trauma. If Derek sees us changing our ways to be like him, then... Bill clasped Henry's hand. His glasses misted slightly. Thank you, Henry. Thank you. You may just have saved Derek's afterlife. Six weeks later... Bill and Henry gathered the residents of Hornet Heaven in the atrium. Bill had Derek with him. Derek had spent much of the intervening period in the programme office tended by Bill, convalescing from his breakdown. The 13-year-old was thriving on a new diet of compassion and understanding from everyone who came to visit him. He'd noticed that people wanted to hear more from him about how he saw things and felt about them including a rather fey man called Cyril, who kept writing everything down. 
It was almost as if Derek was suddenly some kind of oracle about how to live the best possible afterlife. But he didn't understand why it was happening. He put it down, as usual, to being a child. Now, though, in mid-January 2021, he was back in circulation and was in the atrium standing alongside Bill, who was addressing the crowd. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming. Tonight is a special occasion and a surprise event. We're here to mark the centenary in Hornet Heaven of my young friend Derek Garston, who first arrived up here in January 1921. What? You're not going to embarrass me, are you, sir? Very much not, my boy. You'll see. Now then, everyone. Derek has had his troubles recently, but we're going to cheer him up with a special performance by Cliff Holton and the Holtones. They are going to... They are going to perform a very appropriate song. You see, it's based on a song from the 1954 musical Peter Pan. And... Wait, sir. Peter Pan, sir? It's all right, my boy. It's... You think of me as some kind of lovable imp, sir? No, my boy. I, you think I'm a tragic figure, sir, stuck as a child in an endlessly repeating cycle of adventures and mistakes, sir. Not at all, my boy. Hear me out. You see, I know you've been feeling down about being a 13-year-old forever, but the truth is that lots of Watford fans wish they could be in your position. They wish they could be like you. That's utter build, sir. Who could possibly think that, sir? Bill gestured towards the crowd. Every single person in the atrium raised their hand. Crikey, sir. See, my boy, we'd all like to be like you. As adults, we've forgotten how to take simple enjoyment from the thrills, spills and entertainment of a game of soccer. We're too analytical. Too suspicious that good things will turn bad. Too frightened. And we don't want to be like that anymore. We want to watch football like carefree young souls. For the rest of eternity, Derek, my boy. Which is why we've been trying to learn from you in recent weeks. Learn from me, sir? Absolutely. And tonight, Cliff and the gang are going to state in musical form our new commitment to being like you forevermore. The song features Larry McGettigan on main vocals and I believe we may even get some lyrical freestyling by Henry Grover. So, take it away, Cliff Holton and the Holtones. Don't want to grow up don't want to wear a frown And be scared to lose To Luton Town Cause if it means we must prepare To watch the audits with a worried air We'll never grow up, never grow up, never grow up So there, not us Come on, you all 
Don't want to grow up. Don't want to grow up. Don't want to have a clue. Don't want to have a clue. If it's four two four. If it's four two four. Or four four two. Or four four two. Analysis is awfuler than all the awful things that ever were. So we'll never grow up. Never grow up. Never grow up. No sir, not us. Come on, you ones. Never gonna be a man, not me. Rather be a little kid. Forever growing up too much can mean you'll never feel pure joy. Best to stay a boy. Don't wanna grow up. Don't wanna grow up. Don't wanna not roar. Don't wanna not roar. When the audit score. When the audit score. Cause we've seen it all before. Cause we've seen it all before. When the audit score, we want to scream. The Watford are the greatest football team. So we'll never grow up. Never grow up. Never grow up. Indeed, not us. Come on, come on, you ones. May I have a go? Take it, Henry. I don't want to grow up. Don't want to grow up. And don't want to debate. Don't want to debate. Whether Andre Gray. Whether Andre Gray. Deserves the hate. Deserves the hate. Don't want to grow up. No, this is a good one. Grow up. I just want to have a laugh. Just want to have a laugh. If we score an own goal. If we score an own goal. From the other team's heart. From the other team's heart. Don't want to grow up. Don't want to grow up. Wanna be carefree. Wanna be carefree. Wanna worship Luther. Wanna worship Luther. And Lloyd Doyle. And Lloyd Doyle. And Horny Heaven should always be a place of willful immaturity. Oh, well said, chaps. Dear old things. So. We'll never grow up, never grow up, never grow up. You ones, you ones, you ones, Derek looked up at Bill. His eyes were damp with tears. Crikey, sir. A song, sir. In tribute to me, sir. He stepped forward and threw his arms round Bill's middle. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. Emery Grover moved forward and ruffled Derek's hair. Charlie White came up and gave Derek a soft punch on the shoulder. Derek stepped back. I can't believe you won't feel like that, sir. Did you really mean it, sir? Absolutely, my boy. Every word. As adults, we have no more of an idea what's really going on on the pitch. No one knows anything, which means maturity hasn't helped at all. And... It gets in the way of our loving the club, purely and unconditionally. So you are our model of how we're all going to behave as fans from now on. Every single one of us is the boy who won't grow up. Derek hugged Bill again. Thank you, sir. 
You don't know how much better that makes me feel, sir. Forever, sir. Congratulations on your centenary in Hornet Heaven, my boy. Thank you, sir. You've made me realise that all those frustrations that led to my breakdown, sir, were just an aberration, sir. I've actually loved the first hundred years of my afterlife in Hornet Heaven, sir. To die really has been an awfully big adventure, sir. The End The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up was written and produced by Ollie Wickham. It was read by Colin Mace. The song, Don't Wanna Grow Up, was based on an original song by Carolyn Lee and Moose Charlap. It was vocally arranged and sung by Stephen John Davis. So, we'll never grow up, never grow up, never grow up. You won't, you won't, you won't.